welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 12th of September 2010, entitled Assurance of Salvation, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this evening, the 1 John chapter 5. Of course, the first epistle of John was written, I think, with one of his primary purposes of giving true believers the assurance of salvation. We find that as we pick up here in chapter 5, we're going to read the first 13 verses. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Well, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Well, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Well, this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? He says that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Father, we thank you this evening as we, Lord, take time to look into this passage this evening. Father, we pray that you would take and, Lord, bring to our mind and heart those things that need to be spoken. Father, most of all, that you would take your word and that you would make it alive into our hearts. Father, you know each one this evening. You know the need of each heart. Father, we realize that it's your work and your word only that can accomplish that work in each and every life. So, Father, we pray that your word would go forth from here this evening, that it would accomplish that which you would desire for it to accomplish in the heart and lives of each one present. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We find a number of things in these passages, and we certainly will not attempt to cover them all this evening, but we want to 
look at some of these things and draw from it and focus upon this idea that, again, as we've said, you know, a Christian, as we see there in verse 13, he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's why God has given us the record so that we can believe. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There's an interesting thing in the Christian life. I've met very few Christians in my life that if they said and were really honest, could look you in the eye and say, there's never one time since the first day that I prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, there's never been an instant that a doubt centered in my mind. There's never been a time in my life but what a doubt has tried to creep in there somewhere. You see, the devil likes to make you doubt your salvation because if he can get you at ease with yourself, if he can get you to somehow doubting that you truly belong to God, then of what good are you going to do to really be a help to anyone else, to be a true witness? So yes, the devil would love to get you to doubt your salvation. But I'm also just as surely convinced that one of the greatest problems in our churches today is that our churches are full of religious people that have never truly been born again. They've never truly, they've come to accept some kind of a, a religious faith. They may have turned over a new leaf with their life. They may have started doing other things. They may do a lot of religious things. They may have started going to church. They may have started doing a lot of things and stopped doing a lot of other things. But they've never truly, genuinely put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work. Now, the simple truth is, is that there's not a one of us that can look with the other one and, and know with certainty, yes, you're saved, or no, you're not saved. But the Bible does tell us that as we look, it tells us here, I think I counted that in, in the first epistle of John alone, you'll find that the word no is listed in there some 40 times. Now, you can take your concordance at your own leisure and run those and look at all of those things, but I'm saying I believe that God wants us to be able to know that we're his child, and that he has given us, he says, a record so that we can know that. If you're saved, and if you're struggling with the assurance of that salvation, then it's going to take away your joy and your, your peace as well as your effectiveness for the Lord. You need to be able to have that assurance of knowing that you're saved. I trust that if you're here this evening and if you're having those struggles that the Lord may use these verses to help you to have that confidence, not because of what I say, because, you know, the last thing in the world I would ever want to do is to take someone that has never truly been saved. They may have prayed their prayer. They may have done all these things. They may have been baptized. They may be members of the church and all the right things. But the last thing I'd ever want to do is to convince somebody that they are saved when they've never truly been. But just on the other hand, I would not either, as I have heard some do, I would not want to get up here and pound you over the head in such a way that I make you doubt your salvation when you truly are saved. 
The Bible says you need to be able to examine yourself. The Bible says in the passage before us that God has given you a record through his son, Jesus Christ. He has given you a record that you can know that you have eternal life. I want to give you three things briefly this evening just to help you. Because if really there's only two classes of people here this evening, those that are really saved and those that aren't. Now, ideally for me, not because that it's any mark or anything for, uh, uh, that goes up on my behalf, but for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> I'd like to know that each and every one of you, when you leave those doors this evening, you know that you have eternal life. You know that you're saved, not because of anything that you've done, not because of any prayer that you've prayed, not because of any religious things that you've gone through, but because you've humbled yourself before a holy God as a sinner. You've cried out for mercy, knowing that that mercy would come solely because of what Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for you. If you haven't genuinely from your heart sought that forgiveness, you're just as lost as you ever were. I don't care how many times that you've prayed. I don't care how many religious things that you've gone through. But Christians, you know, some of you know my own testimony, how that, you know, there was, there was some years that I struggled with my own assurance. But there came a point in my life when I said, that's enough. One way or another, this thing is going to be settled tonight. God and I are going to spend time alone until either he gets tired of me or he does something about this. And the truth was is that I was that determined because if I wanted to know anything in my life, I wanted to know and have that assurance. You see, first of all, you can have that assurance. You can know that you're saved. First of all, because of promises. Because there are some things that God himself has promised you. I remember, I guess one of the things that so many times, there are some things about the Christian faith that are hard to describe and hard to put into words. You know, you may as well give up ever trying to really properly, fully be able to describe the Trinity to anyone. There's nothing to compare it to. There comes a point when you accept it by faith because God says that it's so. By the same token, you know, have you ever tried to put into words just exactly and precisely what faith really is? I mean, the Bible tells us that it comes by hearing, and that hearing can only come from the Word of God. The Bible tells us that it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How do we know? And I guess one of the first bridges that we all have to cross is, you know, how do I know that I believe? Well, you know, the truth is, is that's why you can't separate faith and trust. I can tell you all day long that I've got the faith to believe that that chair will hold up my enormous weight. And I can sit there and I can tell you that and I can tell you that and I can tell you that. But there comes a point that if I really believe it, I've got to trust it. I can remember, I mean, I've done some stupid things in my life, but also some things are just interesting. There's a place not far from where I live, right at the top of what's known as Grandfather Mountain. And of course, at Grandfather Mountain, there's what's known as the Mile High Bridge up there. <laughs> and literally, you know, the mountain's a mile in the sky, and there's this rinkety swinging bridge <laughs> that stretches out across the, uh, the ravine there. 
That's pretty awesome. When you stand there and look over that side, it is a long ways down. Now, the truth is, you know, I've known some people like, you know, my mother, we like to never got her to put her foot on that bridge. Because <laughs> the simple truth was, you know, she didn't really trust that bridge enough, you know, that just in case, you know, that was an awful long ways down. Well, you could sit there and you could say that you thought it was a secure enough bridge all you wanted. But how do you know when you trust it enough? When you're willing to step on it and walk across it. When you're willing to trust it. You see, faith is not a bunch of feelings. And it's not a bunch of emotions. And that's where we get so confused. And that's why I want you to look at this first point so clearly this evening. If you base your salvation upon your emotions and your feelings, I can guarantee you, I don't care if you're the happiest person that ever lived. Your emotions are going to be up here sometimes. Sometimes some things are going to happen they are going to be down here. You're not going to feel like you're on that mountaintop. There's some times that even when you've been saved for 50 years, there's some days when you might not feel too saved because you don't feel too much of anything because you're down in one of those valleys. And if you're basing the assurance of your salvation on those feelings, and man, I love to feel good. I wish sometimes I could build a little bit of a fire under some of you a little bit more. You know, the Lord is worthy of our praise. It's great to feel good about it. But that's not where we're going to get our assurance from. We find that God has given us some promises. If those things that we understand about faith, if, if faith is something that must come from hearing, from reading, from, from God's Word... That's what it really matters, whether or not we believe what God has said to us. He says that He's given us this record so that we can know. Our knowledge, our assurance must be based upon the record that He has given us. What's He said to us? Well, right here in verses 11 through 13 that we just read, He said, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. This is the record, he says, that God hath given to us. He's done it. It's a finished fact. It's a done fact. God's the one that did it, and God's the one that promises that that's what he has done. This is the record. This is the record that I hold before you, that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. There is no other way. There's not enough religion. There's not enough baptistries. There's not enough religious things that you can do. This life, this eternal life that we can know about, He promises it to us in His Son. That's the only access we have. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's written it to you this evening, you that know, you that are saved, so that you can know, so that you can have that assurance, so that it can be based upon something other. Some days you will feel saved. Some days you'll feel like you're almost ready for to be raptured into heaven, praise God. Sometimes you may feel like you've already arrived in heaven. But he wants you to be able to know all the time, without question, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name 
of the Son of God. That's the only place that it's coming from. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, put your name right in there, whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the record. That's what God has promised to each and every one of us. God promises that through His Son, through His Son, Jesus Christ, you've got a life that will last for all of eternity. Everlasting life, eternal life. We find that He also promises that no matter what you've done, no matter what sins that you've committed, no matter what has been so horrible in your past that you just can't even possibly imagine that God would forgive you for it, God's promised to forgive. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened you were dead in your sins, in that old uncircumcised flesh that didn't belong to God, that hadn't been marked out for him yet. He has quickened you. He's made you alive with him. Why? Having forgiven you. What's the next word in your Bible there? A-L-L, all trespasses. There's nothing that's left out. There's nothing that you've done. If you've gone to him for forgiveness, he promised that all those trespasses are forgiven. He's promised that. That's God's Word. We quote that verse all the time. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. But it takes more than quoting it. Do we believe it? Do we live it? Do we grab hold of it? You see, that's God's promise. You want to know that you're a child of God? You want to know that you're saved this evening? That's only going to come. You're only going to get saved in the first place because of God's promises, of God's truth, in believing what He says when He says that you're a sinner. And He says the wages of that sin is death. But He says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that if you'll go to him and that if you'll seek that forgiveness, if you will ask him genuinely, wanting that sin put away from you, believing that what Jesus Christ did was sufficient payments for it, he says he'll forgive you all trespasses, that the slate will be wiped completely clean. That's God's promise. That's God's promise. Matter of fact, he said earlier in this chapter, <laughs> bottom line is we either believe him or we make him a liar. When we begin to doubt God, when we begin to doubt His Word, His promises, this is the record that He's given us so we can know that we have eternal life. We're calling Him a liar. You see, He's promised. He's promised eternal life to them that will believe. He's promised to forgive sins, all of our sins. He's promised, as we sang about earlier in Galatians 3.26, for ye are all the children of God. By faith in Christ Jesus. God says that if you'll put that faith in Jesus Christ, how much faith? Well, you know, he went to great trouble to point out that it was faith of a grain of mustard seed. 
could remove mountains. You see, the problem we struggle with faith a lot of times is because we're still basing it upon our emotions and upon our feelings and something that we've got to work up. The truth is, when I say something to you this evening, you're either going to believe me or not. Your faith is whether you believe God or whether you don't. You only have two choices this evening. You can believe what he says, or you can look him in the face and call him a liar. You see, the assurance of your salvation is not based upon what any man or any church has promised you. It's not based upon what any preacher has promised you. It's not based upon what your Christian friends have promised you. It's based upon the promises of God, of what God said that he would do. You see, when I was sitting beside that road in South Carolina that night, when God, and I, well, when I decided, and, and I, th I guess, you know, the, in the, as, you, as you look back on it, you realize that it was God's hand at all. It was really God that had decided it was time for me to, to get this settled in my life, and that's where it was going to take place. But that was the night that I yielded to that decision of his. <laughs> and the simple truth was is that, you know, I came down to the fact that, well, you know, God, I know. You see, I can't remember the words that I prayed. I really can't. I don't, I don't remember what I said to you, and that troubled me for some time. You know, did I say the right words? Did I leave something out? But you know what I did remember? I sure remembered what my heart was crying. <laughs> I know that in my heart I wanted forgiveness more than anything in the world. And I remembered, I knew in my heart that I believed there was only one way I could have that forgiveness. And that was because of what Jesus did for me. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, it's really what comes from here. You know, has there ever been a time in your life, you know, that you would just take God for his word? You take him for his word. If you're ever going to know that you have eternal life. And you see, I came to a realization sitting beside the road that night, Brother Chris. There wasn't anything else I could do. I couldn't have been more serious because I know in my heart I was ashamed of my sin and I wanted nothing else to do with it. I didn't want that sin to be part of my life. I believed in my heart that there was only one way that, that sin could be wiped away. That was because of what Jesus Christ did. I didn't deserve a holy God to forgive me for what I'd done. Jesus had died in my place. And I went to him crying out for mercy because of what Jesus did for me. That's the only way. That's the only way we can go. This life is it's in his son. There is no other place. But the truth is right there, I guess, you know, if I'm not saved now, I'm never going to be. There's nothing else because I've done what God said, and I either believe that God will do what he says or I don't. You see, too many, it's some kind of a religious format or some kind of feelings or emotions there's all kinds of different ways. The devil don't really care how he can get you away from the narrow gate. <laughs> he doesn't really care at all as long as he can do it. I'm saying this evening, you can know. You can know that you're saved because of some promises that God has made to you. Because God has promised you. He said in John 1.12, but as me has received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. That's God's word. That's God's promise to you, to each and every one of you. So you see, this evening, I, I just want you to grasp and realize that whether you've ever, if you know that you've never truly been saved, then this evening, I, I'm not asking you to feel any certain way. 
I'm not, I'm not asking you to believe what I'm saying and believe what this church is saying and believe what other Christians are saying. I'm saying this is the record. Will you believe what God has said to you? It's God's promises. God said he created you from nothing. Because of the sin in your life, you can't have that life that he created you for. But he's offered it to you again in his son. That's where that life is. And he will give it to you. The Bible says he will give you eternal life. He will forgive you of your sins. He will make you his child. That's God's word, not mine. You'll go to him. So you can have that assurance this evening. If you've never come, that's the only way to come. And if you're here and the devil's been beating you over the head with something, then you need to know in your heart. Don't make it up. Don't try to pretend this is something that there's absolutely no way in the world that you need to pretend about anything. Don't worry about, well, man, everybody else has done thought I was a Christian for the last 20 or 30 years. I don't care if they've thought you were a Christian for the last 50 years. You're going to leave this world one day. You're going to leave this body behind. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you're a child of God because God has promised you? God has said, that if you'll do this in your heart, he will keep his end of the bargain. See, you can know because of some promises, but also you can know because of some provisions. You see, God has provided some things for you. He's not only made you some promises, he's provided some things for you. Now, I've already said that in Galatians 2, 6, the Bible says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. May I just repeat this? Salvation is not based upon feelings, but it is based upon facts. It's based upon facts. You know, the truth is, is that there is nothing more factual in all the world than the things that God says to us and the things that God gives to us. God has provided you with the means to be able to know. And he tells you here in his word that it ought to make a difference in your life. If you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to be walking in him. He's provided you the means. We know exactly what God wants of your life. Something's bad wrong if you, I don't care what you did that was religious, if it didn't make a difference in your life, if it didn't make a difference in your walk, something's wrong. You missed something somewhere, folks. I don't know. You know, you know, there's not anybody in the world that I would know closer than my own wife and my own children. The people that I know the closest in the world, I can't, I can't know with 100% certainty about any of their salvations, though. I can certainly have confidence in the fruit that I see, just as I can in some of your lives. But I don't know any man's heart. Only God sees what's on the inside. Only God knows what is real and genuine from within. You see, the Bible tells us also here in one jot in the preceding verse that another thing God provides for us is an inner witness, <laughs> an inner witness. He says in 1 John four thirteen, hereby, here's that word again, hereby know we, hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. 
I'm, you know, I look around and, and it doesn't take hard to figure. I assume that all of you live in a house somewhere. Some bigger, some smaller, some nice and tidy, some nice and messy. But everybody lives in a house somewhere, right? Now let me ask you this. You went home tonight after church. You walked in your door and you went in there and there's somebody else that moved in while you were out. Do you think you'd know about it? You know, the truth is, nobody's going to move into your natural house without you knowing it's all I'm pointing out. The Bible says, when we truly become a child of God, the Spirit moves in. And folks, He takes up residence. We've been talking about this a lot in our series of, on the Holy Spirit. You know, are we treating Him as just some visiting guest? Was He taking up residence? Are we treating Him as a permanent, permanent resident? In our lives. The Bible says we can know that we're saved because God has provided us. He's provided us something within us, not just on the outside. Nobody else knows what's inside you, but you know if somebody else has moved in there or not. God's not going to take up residence in your life, and you don't know that he's there. The problem is too many times we're trying to live the Christian life just in our own strength. And we're sincere. We talked this morning. We talked about what? The coward, the cross, and the champion. Peter was a coward until after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, then he became a champion. While he was a coward, he had good intentions. I mean, he was determined to be brave. He was determined he was strong enough. But until after the cross, after Calvary, he didn't have what was needed. All your best intentions in the world, unless someone called God, the person of the Spirit, has taken up dwelling within you, then you've never truly been saved. And the simple fact is, is that you're going to know if he's moved in. Now, again, get away from all your, all your feelings and emotions and things like that. Right here in our passage that we read, he said in, in, in verse 10, he said, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not that the record that God gave of his Son. God said, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. I'm saying you can know that you're saved this evening. Don't, don't play games with this thing. Don't hope. Don't be 99% sure. Don't be 99.9% sure. Know with absolute certainty, not based upon any denomination, not based upon any church, not based upon any people, not based upon any feelings or emotions or practices or anything else, but based upon the promises of God and based upon the provisions of God. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's not the feelings. But I want to tell you this, you're going to feel different after you become a Christian. <laughs> the feelings don't make you saved. And your feelings can be up and down. You're going to know something's different. If you've been made into a new creation, you're not going to think the same way about things that you thought before. 
Our friends think we're bonkers sometimes, don't they? <laughs> I mean, completely. And especially some of those friends that we used to still commit all those sinful things with. When all of a sudden, we don't want to go to those same places. We don't want to do those same things. You know, they think that somehow we're just trying to get enough good marks in our box so that we'll be okay with God. You know, they can't imagine the fact because why? They still want to go to those places. They can't imagine that you don't want to go there because you've been made into a new creation. You're not the same person. Does that mean you can't be tempted to commit sin, to do those things? Young people put on a wonderful skit this morning. I want to guarantee you that was just a slight drop in the bucket. The things God's, that, that Satan's got not just for our young people, but for each and every one of you as far as those temptations that will come along in life. Yes, we saw that Jesus wants to protect you. He wants to be your protection against all of those things. You can know receiving that you're saved, but you're going to know because of the promises of God. You've got to do it God's way, and you can take his word for it, or you can call him a liar. You've got no other way to go. Either he's telling you the truth or he's not. You need to decide real quick. You know, every one of you sitting there this evening, I'm saying some things to you. You're going to decide right now whether I'm telling you the truth or whether I'm just a bold-faced liar. There's, I'm either telling the truth or a lie. There's nothing else. We try to get all these gray areas in between a lot of times. There is no gray area. It's the truth or it's a lie. What God has said there is truth or it's a lie. Are we going to believe him or are we going to call him a liar? Your assurance is going to come because of the promises of God. Your assurance are going to come because of the provisions of God. Because He's the one that's provided the Holy Spirit. Take up residence. To live. To dwell within you. He's the one. The Bible tells us has provided not only this inner witness, but He's the one that has made you into a new creation. He didn't just remodel that old person. He's provided you with a new being. You're a new creation in Him. He didn't do a, a part job. He did it right. There's things that are different. Yes, you're going to have some struggles. Remember the story I think I, I told you sometime. I, I, I love it. I know I've told it in the pulpit several times about the little girl that, you know, she was going before the Presbytery because she wanted to become a member of the church. She wanted to be baptized and all these things. And so how do you know that you're saved? She thought, she thought, she was... You know, she didn't know any real theological terms and things like this. She says, well, I only know how to explain it like this. She said, I know before I got saved, I was chasing after sin. Since I got saved, sin's chasing after me. <laughs> She's going a different direction. Sin's still there. And sin's going to try to have a part in your life. But are you going looking for it? Or is it coming looking for you? You can know this evening. You can know because of some promises, because of provisions. And I want to give you this in closing. You can know because of some possessions. There's some things that you will possess. You see, this is all tied together. It's just not trying to be, to be fancy. God says he's going to do some things. And when he does some things, there's some things that are going to change. There's some things that you're going to possess that you didn't possess before. One is that, boy, this is going to be something different to you. 
might have cared less about this book before. But if you become a child of God, you're going to feel different about it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know the word desire there in the Bible says newborn babes desire. Speaks of literally an intense desire. You ever, uh, we got a few babies around in the church nowadays. Have you ever seen a newborn baby that he gets hungry and it's not been fed? What does, what does that baby do? That desire will get more intense and more intense. And that baby will let you know. He's using a very, very simple graphic illustration here. You know, that's the kind of desire, that intense desire. Just like that baby for its milk. That intense desire for the Word of God. And if for some reason you're not getting it, it should matter to you. And you should want it all the more and all the more. You can get it and you can feed on it. An intense desire. Something that you long after. We find that it's also given to us here in showing us the urgency of it. The urgency of it in our world. You know, what's going to happen to that baby if you never feed it? It doesn't take a doctor to figure out that if you don't feed the baby, the baby's eventually not going to be here. <laughs> you know, it needs to be nourished. It needs to be strength. It needs to be fed. Christians do as well. You see, you're going to be hungry not just for physical things like anybody with a natural life. It's a natural thing for them to desire the natural food. Well, Now, how many of you are going to go without food for the next three days and not be hungry? I won't tell you what I'd be like. <laughs> thing is, we like our natural food. Some of us like it a lot more than other people do, and it shows. <laughs> But what, how can we say that we've been born spiritually and yet we don't have that spiritual hunger? We don't desire that spiritual food. i got to tell you, folks, don't go kidding yourself. You know, there's something wrong if you're saying that you've been born spiritually and yet you're not even hungry for spiritual things. The Bible tells us we should be greatly desirous, intensely desirous of those things. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, there's absolutely no book you can read, no website you can go to, Nobody that you've got the greatest confidence with in the world to tell you things. None of it, none of it is going to hold close what God said to you. This isn't man's word. You don't receive it like you receive man's word. This is God speaking to you. Now, you know, you can go upstairs up there. I, man, I, I got more books than it's probably good sense to own, but I love my books. But there's not a one of them that means what this one means. There's not one that even comes close to being as important as this one right here because this is the record God gave to us. This is, this is not only what will make the difference of whether we have eternal life or not, but it's going to make a difference if you're going to live a Christian life or not.
I'm saying, be careful. I don't care what you've prayed and done and said. Now, the Bible says that there ought to be some things that, that change when you become a Christian. That one of those things that you ought to possess an intense hunger for spiritual food that you didn't have when you didn't have spiritual life. Not only for God's Word, I believe the Bible teaches us that He'll give us a fresh desire for holy living. Not just to know these things, but in our lifestyles. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. My kids were just talking this past week, some of them about laughing about those good old days when they were small and they still got their spankings on the behind, which, yes, I gave to my children. And some of them were talking about the fact, you know, that, uh, you know, just, I guess, remembering back and remembering. And, of course, one of the things they remembered is how that, you know, I, I, I never, ever, ever spanked my children in anger. Uh, and I always, always try to set them down and let them know what they were being corrected for and why and how much they were loved. And, of course, one of the things they remember is when Dad used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> you think they believe that? <clears throat> Not at the time, but hopefully now they've come to understand, you know, it was a grievous, hard thing. I don't know of any parent, I don't care what the discipline, whether it's a spank on the bottom or whether it's taking away their their favorite toy for the next week or whatever it might be that's to bring correction. The fact is, if you love that child, you're going to correct that child. You're not going to let them just go on and do their own thing. The Bible says even in natural life, we learn to reverence our fathers that correct us here on earth. What about our Father in heaven, which corrects us so that we might have holy lives, that we might live the kind of spiritual lives that He wants? Should we not respect that? That God, you know, matter of fact, the Bible's really very, very, very specific and clear when the Bible says that if uh, you say that you, you belong to God and yet you're not being chastened, the Bible uses the word there, which oftentimes in our language is used in a matter of cursing, but he says that you're a bastard, you're fatherless. You know, the true, the true meaning of bastard, forget the way that it's used all around you, is, is one that is without a father. The Bible says that that's exactly, you know, if, if God is your father, which is the promise that he's made to us, he will correct you. He will chasten you so that you can live holy lives, the kind of lives you're supposed to. If that chastening isn't present, then you're fatherless. Spiritually, you don't have a father. Spiritually, you're still dead. And so we find that you're going to possess a hunger for God's Word. You're going, to uh, you're going to have a desire for holy living. We find that 1 John 5, 3 in our text today said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. You know, some things we can do, although we don't really want to do them. But he says, no, you know, we're going to... This is what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's why your friends will think you're crazy. They don't understand. You really, 
you really do want to go to church. You really don't want to get drunk with them anymore. You know, you can go through the whole list of things, whatever you want. The truth is, they don't understand. It's not grievous for you. you know, these are the things that you want to do with your life. Follow God's commandments will not be a grievous thing if you're truly saved. Find that also in our passage in verse 14, the Bible says, We know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That was chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 14. We know, there's that same word, that we have passed from death unto life, that we've been saved, that we've been, he says, we've been given that eternal because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You can deceive yourself if you want. But if you want to say on the one hand that you belong to God, and yet, boy, you can't have anything to do with that brother over there. Something's wrong. That's not the love of Christ that's dwelling in you. Nobody could have been more personally offended than Jesus Christ was by each and every one of us. We, we can't even begin to understand what our sin did to him and what an affront it was to him. Yet he loved us enough to lay down and die for us in spite of that. He says, there's going to be something different. He's going to provide you with the ability to love the brethren like you couldn't before. You know, I've told people, I said, you know, just, just remember. I don't care who it is, what they've done to you. Just remember. You know, we've all really got the same enemy out there. And if you're having trouble with that person, just remember, that person, all they need, there's one thing that they need in their life. That's Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. The enemy will use them if he can. They need to be saved. Realize that it's, that it's either Satan or the influence of Satan and sin on this world and, and, and around him and his life that is causing him to be and do what he is. Jesus Christ is the only answer. You should have compassion for him. I don't, you know, why does the Bible tell us to pray for those and to love those that, that despitefully use us and whatnot? Why? We should have compassion for them. We should recognize their need because that's the reason they're acting like that is because either Christ isn't part of their life or he's certainly not in control. And I'm going to give you this one in closing. We said this this morning, and I just want to reiterate it. I've said it in a lot of ways, and we've touched on it, so I won't spend a lot of time there this evening and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Why was it that these apostles, when they were there being threatened with prison and all these things, and they were told, Okay, look, just don't talk about these things anymore. Don't speak of these things anymore. So we can't help it. <laughs> we can't do anything else except speak of it. We saw this morning how that, you know, Peter, with all of his great determination and best intentions and all of that, in fact, he was just trying to blend in with the crowd. As he became more and more adamant. Do you notice that in that that third time when they said it was his speech even that was giving him away, man, that's when he started cursing and swearing. He was going to show him he could talk the other way. <laughs> Truth is, so many times, so many times, we can be just as cowardly as Peter was there. 
just by trying to blend in, just by trying not to stand out as one of those Christians. I believe just like the apostles, the Bible teaches us that if we're truly a child of God, we're a light. We're going to shine forth in this dark world. We're going to be a witness. We are not going to be ashamed of him. He says if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us before the Father. You know, the truth is, is there's something wrong in your life if you're ashamed of the very one that you say you've committed your life to. You can know this evening. You can know that you're a child of God. But if you're going to know it, it's going to be because of the promises of God. Because you're going to take God exactly for what he says. That's why that in all my years in the ministry, you know, one of the greatest privileges that any Christian ever has, not just a preacher, that any Christian ever has, is to be able to show someone else the way to the cross. We can't save anybody. But to be able to point somebody else in the right direction, we can't even pray a sinner's prayer for somebody else. We can't pray for somebody else's salvation. We can pray for them that they'll come to the point that they'll seek that forgiveness themselves. What a glorious privilege, though. And the simple fact is, is that when we become a child of God, we're going to love to share that truth with others. This evening, if you don't know that certainty, you can know it if you'll just act upon what God has said to you. Believe Him. How do you believe Him enough? By believing Him enough to truly act on it from your heart. To <laughs> know that's your only hope. That's your only hope. You wouldn't mistake your eternity upon it. This evening, you can know that you're saved because of God's promises, because of what He has promised to you. You can know because of God's provisions. He's the one that's given you the Spirit to live within. He's the one that's made you a new creation. You can know because of some things that He gives you as personal possessions that you didn't have before, a desire for His Word a desire to live godly, holy, living, a desire to share that truth with others, even a desire to love the unlovable brother. <laughs> That's what God does for you. And you can know that certainty this evening. I wonder this evening, every head bowed and every eye closed, just before we sing our closing hymn here, I wonder this evening, wonder if there's anyone here, no one looking around. Children, even if you would just be quiet for us for just a moment, just an important moment here. No one looking around. I wonder if you're here this evening. You slip your hand up. I don't want to embarrass you. But I sure would like to pray for you. I know. Maybe you're here and you don't know for sure that you've truly been saved. Maybe right now you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me. Pray for me. I don't have that certainty. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Nobody looking. I just want to pray for you. Maybe you're here this evening and you just don't have that certainty. There's some niggling doubts. Maybe you've done all the things that you thought you were supposed to do, but there's still those nagging doubts in there that you're just not 100% sure. Would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me? I 
I have these doubts that I'm struggling with, and I'd really, really like to put them away. Anyone? God bless his hand. Anyone else? Once you put it up, you can put it back down. God sees those hands. Father, you know the hearts of each one here this evening. You've seen the hands that are raised, and Lord, you know my heart that if there was something that I could personally do, then I would do it. Lord, I pray this evening that you would show these in their hearts, whether they they need to be saved or if they're saved and need to, Lord, have that assurance in their life. I pray that you could help them, Lord, to recognize and understand that, Lord, according to your word, we can know these things. Lord, I pray that you would help them that this evening they would look to your promises and nothing else. What you have said in your word, that's the record whereby we can know. And, Lord, that record states very clearly. And of course, that word in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That record is in him, what he accomplished for us. Lord, it's been recorded and left for us, preserved for us, that we can know this evening. So I pray, Lord, that you would help these to know. Either this evening decide to accept you, accept the truths that you put there, to believe them, to act upon it. Father, maybe if it's something that they've done before, that they've come to realize that they've just been doubting your word and they have nothing to doubt. Lord, I pray that you'd help them. I pray that you'd help each one of them, Lord. Also, Lord, we pray that you'd help them because you've provided some things. You've provided that spirit to live within them. Lord, they can, they can know this because they've been made a new creation. Lord, you will change their outlook. Please do the work in their hearts that I wish that I could do, but only you can. Lord, if some need to come as we sing our closing hymn, and please help them to have the courage to do so, not to leave here this evening with those same doubts they came with. Lord, maybe just to take the hand of another Christian that's near to them. We know that the devil works over time to try to hinder people and to deter people. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts as only you can. Lord, no one has to leave here with those doubts this evening. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.